Hello, ladies and germs, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to the very first episode of the brand spanking new Tribe of Mentors podcast. The intention in this podcast is to interview world-class performers from every possible domain and to tease out the habits, routines, philosophies, tactics, how they say no, etc., that you can apply. Now, the difference between this podcast and the Tim Ferriss Show, my other podcast, which has more than 200 million downloads, is that instead of doing that in two to four hours in long-form interviews, it'll be done in much, much less. So on average, I would say somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes. On average, there will be some longer episodes. There will be some very, very short episodes. And I thought the best way to introduce this podcast would be to read the introduction from the book of the same name, Tribe of Mentors. Take a look, tribeofmentors.com. It is out today in bookstores everywhere. And it tells a bit of the backstory and how all of this came to be. And I'm going to dive right into that. So when you hear this book, it's referring to Tribe of Mentors, but it equally applies to this podcast, which we'll be sharing very often one profile at a time or interrelated profiles, as well as other things like rejection letters that I received in the process of asking people to be involved, <laughs> which I still get. Uh, for those of you who don't have any context on me, I am an early stage tech investor, invested in 50 plus companies like Facebook, Twitter, Uber, Alibaba, and Shopify, and so on in many of the earliest stages. I'm also an author. I wrote a book called The 4-Hour Workweek and several in between, then Tribe of Mentors. Uh, all of the books to date have been number one New York Times or Wall Street Journal, just so you think I have some credibility, but there's also a lot of luck involved. And uh, I am, I suppose, a professional dilettante. I experiment with a lot of things, including podcast formats. So let's dive into it. This is the background on Tribe of Mentors, both the podcast and the new book. So let's jump into it. The chapter begins with two quotes. The first. The only true voyage would be not to travel through a hundred different lands with the same pair of eyes, but to see the same land through a hundred different pairs of eyes. Marcel Proust. Then we have some prose. Albert grunted. Do you know what happens to lads who ask too many questions? Mort thought for a moment. No, he said eventually. What? There was silence. Then Albert straightened up and said, Damned if I know. Probably they get answers and serves them right. That's from the book Mort by the incredible Terry Pratchett. And to explain why I wrote Tribe of Mentors and started this podcast, I really need to start with when. When did all of this begin? When were the seeds? 2017 was a very unusual year for me. It was an intense year, a very difficult year. The first six months were slow simmer, and then within a matter of weeks, I turned 40. My first book, The 4-Hour Workweek, had its 10th anniversary. Several people in my circle of friends died unexpectedly, and I stepped on stage to explain how I narrowly avoided committing suicide in college. And that was on the main stage at TED. I was very nervous and, in fact, had scrapped my entire presentation, a very safe, reliable presentation, a week before the big show, pulled an all-nighter before the final rehearsal, and ended up talking about my close brush with suicide, which I'd been embarrassed by and kept secret for a very, very long time. So the truth be told, I never thought I'd make it to 40. 
my first book, which I mentioned, was rejected 27 times by publishers. In other words, the things that worked out weren't really supposed to work. So I realized on my birthday at 40, I had no plan for after age 40. And as often happens at Forks in the Path, whether the fork is college graduation, a quarter-life crisis, midlife crisis, kids leaving home, retirement, whatever it might be, questions started to bubble to the surface, such as, were my goals my own or simply what I thought I should want? How much of life had I missed from underplanning or overplanning? How could I be kinder to myself? How could I better say no to all the noise to better say yes to the adventures I craved? In other words, how could I better separate the noise from the signal, the trivial many from the critical few? How could I best reassess my life, my priorities, my view of the world, maybe my place in the world and my trajectory through all of it? So many things, all the things. These were some of the questions. And one morning, I wrote down all the questions as they came, hoping for a glimmer of clarity. And instead, no big surprise, I felt a huge wave of anxiety. The list was overwhelming. And noticing that I was holding my breath, I paused and took my eyes off of the paper. Then I did what I often do with a cup of tea in hand. My favorite is pu'er tea with some turmeric and ginger. And uh, whether I'm considering a business decision, personal relationship, or otherwise, I often ask myself the one question that I found to help answer many others. Here it is. What would this look like if it were easy? I'll say it again. What would this look like if it were easy? Now, this, in that sentence, could be anything. That morning, it was answering a laundry list of big questions. And what would this look like if it were easy is such a lovely and deceptively leveraged question. It's easy to convince ourselves, I'm certainly guilty of this, that things need to be hard. That if you're not redlining, you're just not trying hard enough. And this is particularly true with type A driven personalities who have a high pain tolerance. This becomes a badge of honor. And all of that leads us to look for, in some cases, paths of most resistance. Maybe we justify it by saying that there's a high barrier to entry, we can out-tough everyone, and so on. But nonetheless, we create a lot of unnecessary hardship in the process. But what happens if we do the opposite? If we frame things in terms of elegance, you might say grace, instead of strain? Sometimes we find incredible results with ease instead of stress. And I've spoken a lot about this in the past and written a lot about this in past books as it relates to 80-20 analysis and so on. Sometimes when we reframe things, looking for ease, we solve the problem, in quotation marks, by completely reframing it. And that one morning, by journaling on this question, what would this look like if it were easy, in longhand, an idea presented itself. Of course, 99% of all of the scribble on the page was useless. But there was one seed of a possibility, and that's really what you're looking for. You're taking whatever's in your monkey mind when you journal, trapping it on paper so that you can examine it. And most of it will be gibberish or not very helpful. But there was a seed, and that's all you need to make the exercise worth it. And here it was. What if I assembled a tribe of mentors to help me? In other words... What if I asked, say, more than 100 brilliant people, a dream list, people who were demigods to me when I was growing up, the very questions I was struggling to answer for myself or somehow got them to guide me in the right direction? 
would it work? The truth was I had no idea. I really had not the faintest idea, but I did know one thing. And this is important by defining the downside, right? What is the worst that could happen? Well, if the easy approach failed, the unending labor in the salt mines approach was always there. It was always waiting in the wings. Pain is never out of season if you go shopping for it, right? So why not spend a week test driving the path of least resistance? And that's how it began. First, I scribbled down a list of dream interviewees, which started as one page, quickly became 10. And the list had to have no limitations. No one too big, no one too out of reach, no one too hard to find. Could I get the Dalai Lama, maybe? The incredible Temple Grandin, or my personal white whale. <laughs> I hope he's listening to this. The author, Neil Gaiman. Ah, oh, what a polymath. And that voice. Oh, my God. Or Ayan Hirsi Ali. I wrote out the most ambitious, eclectic, unusual list possible. And that's important because I wanted to be excited about this, and I, need, and I needed that excitement as fuel to give me endurance on a project like this. Next, I needed to create an incentive to encourage people to respond, right? Because, hey, can you help Tim Ferriss isn't necessarily enough. So I worked on a book deal and proposed it and tentatively had it accepted by Houghton Mifflin, the publisher. And I thought, you know, be in my book, or would you like to be in my book? Might work, especially if I could mention some of these other names who said yes. And from the very outset, and this is similar to how, for instance, Richard Branson has explained to me that he mitigated risk when starting Virgin Atlantic by negotiating with Boeing to be able to return the planes if things didn't work out. Everyone views him, or many people, view him as a risk taker, when in fact he's really good at risk mitigation, at limiting the downside. And taking a page out of his playbook, from the very outset, I told the publisher that it might not work. It might not work at all. And that if it didn't work, I'd just return the advance and we could both move on with life. Then, my tentative plan in place, I started pitching my little heart out. I sent an identical set of 11 questions to some of the most successful, wildly varied, and well-known people on the planet with... Answer your favorite three to five questions or more if the spirit moves you. And I reached out to them via every means you can possibly imagine. After hitting send dozens of times, and then ultimately hundreds of times, I clasped my hands to my excited writer's chest with bated breath, to which the universe replied with complete silence. Nothing. Crickets. For 12 to 24 hours or so, absolutely nothing. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, you might say, given the holidays. And then there was a faint trickle through the ether, perhaps a whisper of curiosity and a handful of clarifying questions. Some polite declines followed, and then came a complete torrent. Nearly all of the people I reached out to are incredibly busy, busy beyond belief, and I expected I would get back short, rushed responses from a few of them, perhaps at best. And what I got back instead were some of the most thoughtful answers I'd ever received, whether on paper, in person, or otherwise. Even after interviewing 300 people for The Tim Ferriss Show, this was the case. A lot of people are better on a keyboard than they are in conversation because they have time to think about the best answer. In the end, there were more than 100 respondents for Tribe of Mentors. Now, granted... The so-called easy path took thousands of back-and-forth emails and Twitter direct messages, hundreds of phone calls, many marathons at a treadmill desk, with my tea, of course, 
and more than a few bottles of wine during late night writing sessions. Thank you very much, Wolfer Estates and others, <laughs> for providing me with fine quality fuel. But it worked. Now, did it always work? No, it did not. I didn't get the Dalai Lama this time around, at least. And perhaps half of the people on my list didn't respond or decline the invitation. And in fact, on this podcast, I will be featuring some of those rejection letters because they're so good. But here's the thing. It worked enough to matter, right? The path of least resistance, the easy, easy, easy option worked enough to matter, and that's what matters. In cases where the outreach worked, the questions I chose, that list of 11, did the heavy lifting. Eight of the questions were fine-tuned, what you might call rapid-fire questions from my podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show. And these questions have been refined over more than 300 interviews with guests like Jamie Foxx, General Stanley McChrystal, Maria Popova, and many, 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 many others. And I knew these questions worked, that interviewees generally liked them, and that they could help me in my own life. So these are the questions that you will hear asked on this podcast in the short-form episodes that you'll hear. The remaining three of the 11 questions were new additions that I hoped would solve my most chronic problems and were related very much to, say, dealing with overwhelm or distraction, how to better say no, and so on and so forth. Really separating, again, the noise from the signal so you can focus on the critical few. And I tested all of these questions, including the last three, tweaked and so on, with many of my friends who are writers and world-class performers in their own right. The older I get, and this is really the, the crux paragraph or two here, the older I get, the more time I spend as a percentage of each day on crafting better questions. In my experience, if I look back at my own life experience, my business deals, my investments, and so on, Going from 1x to 10x returns, or 10x to 100x returns, or from 100x to, if lady luck really smiles on you, 1,000x returns. If you are making those jumps that are not incremental, that are not linear in various areas, oftentimes you will find it's the product of coming up with better questions, whether for other people or yourself. John Dewey's dictum that, quote, a problem well put is half solved applies here. So you can judge a man by his questions, or a woman by her questions, as Voltaire might say. Here's the line that I've bolded for myself, because it bears reminding. Life punishes the vague wish and rewards the specific ask. I'll read that again. Life punishes the vague wish and rewards the specific ask. So what you get back is what you put out or commensurate with what you put out with a question mark after it. After all, conscious thinking is largely asking and answering questions in your own head, right? So if you want confusion and heartache, ask vague questions. If you want uncommon clarity and results, ask uncommonly clear questions. These are the lures that you throw out into the universe, into the world to catch what you want. Fortunately, the specific asks, the good questions, this is a skill you can develop. There are many ways to do it. And no book or podcast can give you all the answers, but I hope to help train you to ask better questions by listening to the wording. And Milan Kundera, one of my favorite authors, and the author of The Unbearable Lightness of Being, if you've already read that, or maybe you're looking for something else, as a side note, you should definitely pick up The Book of Laughter and Forgetting. It's super hilarious, really profound, also very erotic, so if you're 
hypersensitive and uh, maybe an American who doesn't know how to deal with sex, don't read it. But otherwise, I recommend it. He has said that the stupidity of people comes from having an answer for everything. The wisdom of the novel comes for having a question for everything. End quote. Now, if you substitute master learner for novel, you basically have my philosophy of life. And very often, all that stands between you and what you want is a better set of questions or one or two more follow-up questions just to get to the details, to the actionable nitty-gritty, which is, of course, what I've obsessed over for, say, the Tim Ferriss Show and why I think it's been as popular as it has. The 11 questions I chose are the following. I'm going to read them one by one, and I'm going to skip a bunch of the introduction chapter in Tribe of Mentors that goes through each of these questions in detail and explains why the specific wording and so on. If you want that, you can just search Tribe of Mentors introduction or go to tribeofmentors.com and read the entire thing for free. Don't have to buy anything. Uh, but nonetheless, I want to give you a quick pass of the 11 questions. Some of them might seem trite or useless at first glance, but things are not always what they appear. And these, these are very often getting fantastic results because of how they're sequenced. So some of the lighter questions serve as warm-ups or give a break between denser, more difficult questions for people to answer. All right, here we go. Question number one, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Or what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? All right, this is, this is a much better question than what is your favorite book, for instance. Question number two, what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? And, of course, the objective here, and I, I told everyone that the specifics are important. Brand and model, where you found it, how you found it, if someone introduced it to you, etc. Number three, and if I had to choose one question of the 11 to pose to, say, an icon I meet in an elevator, although that's... This, this would be a little bit rushed. It'd be skipping a little bit of foreplay to do this. I would ask this question. How has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? This one pretty much without fail, get it, uh, tends to get great, great stories. All right, number four. This is perhaps my listener favorite of all the questions, but it's heavy lifting. So I like to warm people up with the other three. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what would it say and why? It could be a few words or a paragraph, or, if helpful, it could be someone else's quote, a quote that you think of often or live your life by, for instance. Question number five. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? This could be an investment of money, time, energy, etc. Another thing I do when I ask these questions, by the way, is I give sample answers that have been really well received. So I will mention someone, ideally of equal fame, notoriety, capability, who has given a really, really good answer. And that helps to elicit good answers. Also buys you time in an interview, by the way. Or buys, I should say, your interviewee time. Number six. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? This is a question I borrowed from a friend named Chris Young. And uh, again, might seem trite, might seem useless, but some of my proofreaders found the answers to this question their favorite answers. All right, number seven. 
in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? If I had to choose a second question of the 11, and I could only choose two, it would probably be this one. I'll read it again. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Number eight, what advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? What advice should they ignore, on the other hand? Number nine, what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Number 10, in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Distractions, invitations, etc. And what new realizations or approaches have helped? Do you have any other tips for people who want to say no to more things? And then question 11, the last, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? And if helpful, what questions do you ask yourself? All right, so I'm not going to go through all of these, and you might ask, and why should I care anyway? I'm not an interviewer, but here's the deal, and I'll just, I'll really put a button in it and then move on. If you want to build or foster a world-class network, and I hate to tell you, perhaps, but your network is your net worth, right? If, if someone took away all of your money, everything you've made, what would you have left? Among other things, you'd have your skills and you'd have your network. So if you want to build or foster a pre-existing world-class network, you need to interact in a way that earns and keeps it. All of these types of questions help. And then you can create your own, of course. All right, so let's move on then. We're going to skip the eight or so pages that go through sample answers and explain each question. If you want to dig in, again, go to tribementors.com and just click on sample chapters or introduction. And uh, here's the deal. When you look at the answers from all of these questions from 130 plus different people, you spot certain patterns. So there are patterns and uh, the format of the book and the format of the podcast makes it easier to spot those patterns. You also notice where people diverge tremendously or perhaps even give conflicting advice. And uh, suffice to say, life would be really boring if we all followed exactly the same rules. If you look at the world of investing, for instance, you find people who are diametrically opposed yet consistently beat the market and uh, seem to have a method to the madness. So you want to pick and choose. You're going to listen to some of these episodes and uh, people will be vastly different in their approaches to business, life, art, craft, etc. So when someone resonates with you, just consider one or two things that you might test or make a note of. All right? And the surprising part of all of this is that the answers, many of which are timeless, in Tribe of Mentors, again, whether that's the new book or the podcast, also brand new, Tribe of Mentors changes with you. So as time passes and life unfolds, things that you might have initially swatted away like a distraction can reveal incredible depth and become unimaginably important. Maybe there's a cliche that you ignore at first because it sounds like a throwaway fortune cookie. Then a year later or a week later or a month later, let's say a close friend passes away and suddenly it makes perfect sense and moves mountains for you, makes all the difference. Conversely, there are things that you might find enlightening, incredibly informative, and they run their course. Like a wonderful high school coach, say, who needs to hand you off to a college coach for you to reach the next level. And that's part of the reason why I also will interview and have interviewed, uh, for the book that is, uh, people who range in age from mid-20s all the way up to late 70s and I think even 80s. 
there's no expiration date on a lot of the advice that you're going to hear. And there's no uniformity. So my hope is that each time, say, you listen to an episode or pick up the book, not unlike with the I Ching or the, the Tao Te Ching, and some listeners have said, you know, it's, it's said Tao. And then to that I say, actually, it's Tao. Dao means road or path, right? Much like ju do. The do in Japanese is the same thing. And so just real quick persnickety thing there. I know the pronunciation, guys. Uh, I, was, I was, despite the fact that it has no application to pretty much anything in my life or professional career, I was an East Asian Studies major. But when you read it, you sound like a pompous ass if you, if you say karate and, and everything with a foreign accent or Paris, right? So I'm just going to say Tao Te Ching. So... Not unlike with the I Ching or Tao Te Ching, every time you listen to one of these episodes, and perhaps you listen to it more than once, uh, or pick up the book, something new will grab you, shake your perception of reality, illuminate a folly perhaps, confirm an intuition, or correct your course to that all-important one degree. The entire spectrum of human emotion and experience can be found in Tribe of Mentors, from the hilarious to heart-wrenching, from failure to success, and from life to death. May you welcome all of it. And in fact, very sad story, but nonetheless, life has its sad stories. Terry Lachlan, incredible man and mentor who changed my life completely, passed away a few weeks ago. And this is not in the introduction text, by the way. I'm just saying this to you guys. He passed away a few weeks ago, very unexpectedly. And his last long-form interview was on the Tim Ferriss Show. And uh, he, he fixed a lifelong insecurity and, and humiliation of mine, which was my inability to swim, among other things. Incredible guy. And if you listen to that episode, which you can find at tim.blog forward slash podcast on the other podcast, uh, it is full. It is full of heart-wrenching sadness. And I think it's important to embrace that at times. So welcome it all. This is the spectrum of life. And I suppose I could mention my coffee table at home, which is related. I have a piece of driftwood there. Its sole purpose is to display a quote, which is laser etched into it by, by, and I think I'm getting the pronunciation right here, Anais Nin. And I see it every day. And here's the quote. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. This for me is a short reminder that success can usually be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations we are willing to have and by the number of uncomfortable actions we are willing to take. I know it's very unfashionable right now in these divisive times to suggest that perhaps what you want to look for and create for yourself is an unsafe space, not where you're going to get hurt physically necessarily, but to openly and uh, very proactively expose yourself to opinions that differ from yours, perspectives that differ from yours, so you can expand your sphere of comfort rather than contract it. Everything you want, as I've heard it said, is right outside of your comfort zone. So strive to expose yourself. If you want to get a tan, you have to expose yourself to the sun. Uh, And you want to be more resilient, not more fragile. All right? So success can be measured in some ways, in many ways, by the number of uncomfortable conversations you are willing and eager to have and by the number of uncomfortable actions you're willing to take. The most fulfilled and effective people I know, and you're going to hear from quite a few of them in this podcast, world-famous creatives, billionaires, thought leaders, and more, look at their life's journey as perhaps 25% finding themselves and 75% creating themselves. This is a really important distinction. 
And this podcast, certainly the book, Tribe Mentors, is not intended to be a passive experience. It's intended to be a call to action where you take the baton and you run with it, where you take words, whether spoken or written, and apply a piece of each episode, in the case of the podcast, to your life in some capacity. You don't have to use every episode, but take something that you hear and turn it into an experiment, a short, say, one-week or two-week experiment. And just remember that you are the author of your own life, and it is never too late to replace the stories you tell yourself in the world. I was asked recently, well, isn't it too late for someone in their 40s or 50s to become an entrepreneur? No, 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 it is not. Look at the stories of Colonel Sanders and KFC or hundreds of others that I could cite. It's never too late to begin a new chapter, add a surprise twist, or change genres entirely as the author of your own life. And just remember the question. This is a really powerful question that can be applied in a million different ways. When you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like the odds are against you, when you feel like you just can't get something done, you can't make a decision, what might it look like if it were easy? What might it look like if it were easy? And sit down and journal on that. Write it down so you can really take a look and find something that perhaps you didn't expect, even as a seed, would be so incredibly powerful and useful. So here's to picking up the pen with a smile. Big things are coming. And I hope you enjoy both this podcast and the book, Tribe of Mentors. Please check it out. 130 plus of the most amazing people I could find around the world who are the best at what they do, teaching all of their secrets and sharing their life lessons. So the podcast's coming. I'm really thrilled to share many, many people in the book with you. And if you want to learn more, please go to tribementors.com for a full list of the people who might appear in this podcast, as well as sample chapters and so on and so forth. The book can also be found, <laughs> as a good salesman, I got to tell you, at booksellers everywhere, online, offline, you name it. So thank you for listening. And welcome to the brand new Tribe of Mentors podcast.